Let me pray, and then we'll jump right into our text for today. Um, our Father, we, uh, we thank you that uh, in your word there is great wisdom. And uh, Lord, um, we pray that you'd give us some of it. Lord, would you give us wisdom as we look at this uh, over these next few weeks? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, James 1.5, uh, put that on the screen. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Um, now, wouldn't it be great if you, if you just always knew the right thing to do? Or wouldn't that be great? You always knew the right thing to do at exactly the right time. You never worried. Uh, you never didn't know what to do in any situation. You know, wouldn't it be great if, like, if you were the one that all of your friends, all of your family, uh, all of your coworkers, like, you were the one that they came to for wisdom? Wouldn't that be great if that was you? You were the one that had it all? Well, this verse in James chapter 1, right off the bat, it tells us at least two things. Um, could you put that up for us, Lance? Uh, it tells at least two things. It says, uh, first, that God is the one who has all wisdom. He's the one who gives it out. And then secondly, the other thing it tells us is that wisdom is something that we can ask God to give us. So one, God has all of it, and two, God's the one who gives it. And that's what we're going to be doing for four weeks. We're going to God, the God of all wisdom, and we're asking him to give us some of it. And so we'll talk about the wisdom of today, we'll talk about the wisdom of fear, the wisdom of friendship, and the wisdom of suffering. Uh, those four topics this week and over the next three. And so here's a challenge just as we get started. If you feel like you lack wisdom in any way, in any part of your life, uh, why not invest three more hours of your life over the next three Sundays asking God for wisdom? You're already here today, so you've got one hour in the bank, so well done. Uh, why not come the next three weeks if you feel like you lack wisdom in any area of your life? And let's just see if God makes you any wiser by being here, by looking at his word and asking him for wisdom. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about the wisdom of today. But before we get into that, the primary way that God dispenses wisdom is actually through his word. And so do you want to be wise? Do you want to, do you want to have that wisdom? Well, then we need to know what, not only know what his book says, not only know what the Bible says, but why it says it, and then we have to live it out. Um, just look at the context of James chapter 1. Uh, the next slide there, uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, here's our verse, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, very simply, what that's saying is that wisdom does not only come through information, it comes through transformation. It's through testing, it's through trials, it's through perseverance. In other words, wisdom comes through not only knowing the right thing, but through persevering in doing the right thing over and over and over again. Now, notice in verse 4 that James, he actually equates maturity with wisdom. And so a mature person is wise, or a wise person is mature. They're one and the same thing. And what, what James shows us is actually that maturity, that wisdom, it comes through trials. Therefore, verse 5, if you're in a trial, you're having to persevere through something. Verse 5, if you lack wisdom to deal with that in any way, then you should ask God who gives it generously. Now, let me just give you uh, one picture from real life, and then I'll give you an illustration that Jesus uses to help us kind of ground this idea just of what wisdom is in reality. And so last weekend, uh, our nieces were visiting us. They're about five years old, about three years old. They're very cute. Um, and uh, at some point as they're growing up, their mom and their dad sat them down at a table probably, 
and handed them a fork or a spoon and taught them how to use it. Right? So they hand the fork and, you know, food flies everywhere. This is why my dog loves it when they come. Uh, he just sits under the table. Not one of my dog illustrations, by the way. Um, and uh, so he loves it. He loves to sit under the table because uh, they were given this information of how to use, how to eat with a fork and a spoon instead of using their hands. And right now, at the ages of three and about five, they're in the process of persevering in the knowledge of using the fork and the spoon. Uh, at this point, it's probably still easier for them to use their hands. They could just, you know, grab the pasta, grab, believe it or not, the sushi with their hands. Uh, and uh, their food-to-mouth ratio would be much better if they just used their hand than with a fork. Um, but if they continue to persevere through the trials of dropping food, eventually that perseverance will finish its work. And they will be able to use a fork and a spoon without, you know, without spilling at all, or maybe very little spilling. Um, at least they hope. Now, why do they want that? Why, why would they want to be able to do that? Well, I can think of one really important reason. One day, they will go on a date. And I think that sums it up. And so this perseverance through the trial produces maturity. In other words, wisdom. In this case, the wisdom of eating without spilling food everywhere. So that's one picture of what it is to, to gain wisdom. It's, it's like a child learning to eat with a fork. You persevere through that, and eventually you mature to the point where you can do it. That's one illustration. But here's one that Jesus used, and this was our scripture reading this morning about what it is to be wise. So over in Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially Jesus pouring out wisdom, remember he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Remember the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But remember, everyone who hears the words of Jesus and doesn't put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the same wind, the same rain came, and the stream rose, and it beat against the house, and that one fell with a great crash. And so the illustration there that Jesus gives is of two builders. One built the house on a rock, the other one on the sand. And when the trial comes, the storm comes, only one builder's house is left standing. But notice very carefully what Jesus said. And this is very important when it comes to understanding wisdom and how to be wise. Wisdom is in both hearing and doing. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. And then in contrast, verse 26, but everyone who hears the word but does not put them into practice is like the foolish one. And so you're beginning to see it. Wisdom is not just about hearing, it's about doing. You don't become wise only by knowing the right information, knowing the right thing. Uh, both builders knew and heard the wisdom, uh, but only one of them heeded it. Only one of them put it into practice, and therefore only one was wise. And so here you have Jesus also stressing the importance that wisdom, it's not just knowledge. It's perseverance in doing what you know to be right and true. So with that background, that understanding of wisdom, let's look at today's topic, the wisdom of today. And when I say the wisdom of today, I don't mean modern or current thinking. I don't mean, you know, just the, the general thought that's out there in the world. What I mean by today is literally today, the wisdom of today. Uh, that there are things that we can do, that we can say, that we can think today that form who we will become tomorrow. Uh, because whether you realize it or not, everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think, the way that you react to people in situations, all of that, everything you do today is actually forming and shaping who you will be tomorrow and who you will be five years from now and even 20, 30 years from now. And for that reason, the Bible actually has a lot to say about today. 
And we're only going to look at three things very briefly. Uh, the wisdom of today does at least three things, and these are ones we're going to look at. First, it releases you from anxiety. Second, it prepares you for tomorrow. And third, it renews you spiritually. So those are our three points. The wisdom of today, first, it, it releases you from anxiety. Uh, there's a book that came out earlier this year by an Australian uh, pastor and theologian named Mark Sayers. Uh, the book's called Non-Anxious Presence. And he explains in this book that uh, what we're living in today is what he calls a gray zone, that we're right in between the, this passing era and the coming era. Can you put that next one up for us? Uh, and so this area that we're living is uh, in this Venn diagram. We're in the middle. We're in the gray zone. So there's the passing era and then the coming era. And in the passing era, let, let's say the last about 1,700 years, for the most part in the Western world, we've all pretty much had the same worldview. Now, variations within it, but pretty much the same worldview, that people believe there is a God who created us and that we should then try and live to please that God. That's the sort of dominant worldview that's been around the Western world since Christianity became uh, the religion of Rome. And uh, that, that's, that's the passing era. And then there's the coming era. And we don't really know what that belief is going to be, but there's a coming era where most of the people, at least in the West, there once again, there'll be a dominant worldview, a dominant way of thinking that almost everybody will ascribe to. And then what Sayers argues in his book is that today, right now, we are living in the gray zone in between these two eras. And what he concludes is that uh, this is the reason that there's so much anxiety in the world, because we're living in this gray zone in between two uh, dominant ways of thinking. And in the gray zone, it's where things are shifting. It's where things are uncertain. And he would argue, by the way, this is why we're so politically polarized, not just America, but all across the Western world, that, that we're just we're in this gray zone. And living in here is the reason that we're anxious. Now, that is on a very meta level, OK? That's on like world-shaking level. Uh, and it will likely take decades or even uh, maybe a very influential event in the world uh, to move us into this coming era. But here's what I want, just want to use that as an illustration. And let's take this idea of the passing era and the coming era uh, and the gray zone in between, and let's apply, apply it on a micro level to our everyday lives. And the reality is, is that anxiety is still what occupies us in the gray zone. And so at this level, at the micro level, the gray zone is actually the time between yesterday and tomorrow. In other words, the gray zone is today. Uh, can you go to the next one? Um, this, is, this is what it looks like. Next slide, please. Um, this is what it looks like. Uh, the gray zone is where we are now. Yesterday is the past. You know what happened yesterday. Tomorrow hasn't happened yet. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so today you live in the gray zone. And in the gray zone, there is worry, there is anxiousness about tomorrow. Now, you could shrink this down further, actually. and You could say this hour is the gray zone between the last hour and the next. Or this minute is the gray zone between the last minute and the next. Or you could expand it and say this week is the gray zone between last week and next week, and so on and so forth. But either way, the gray zone is today. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about how to live in the gray zone between yesterday and tomorrow. In other words, the wisdom of today is actually a way of overcoming our anxiety today in the gray zone. Uh, look with me at Matthew chapter 6. We'll put this on the screen as well. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And of course, the great irony of worry is that it, not only does it not add time to your life, it actually takes an hour away. 
because you could have spent that hour doing something else. Uh, Jesus goes on, verse 28, to talk uh, the same way about clothes. He talked about food, you know, the two essentials of life, food and clothing. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, Jesus is talking about the wisdom of today, and that wisdom that he gives is twofold. First, if you dig into this, what you find is that he says, uh, when you're in that gray zone, that anxious moment, first, consider the nature of God. Now, think about what's Jesus doing here. He's, he's asking us to consider the nature of God. How does he describe him? Well, he describes God as a father who knows what we need and who feeds birds and clothes the grass of the field. And in both instances, he argues, how much more then? Will God provide food and clothing for human beings, which are of infinitely more value? And so what Jesus is saying is that in the gray zone, while it's still today, this hour, this minute, spend less time worrying about what might not be there tomorrow, and much more time thinking about the character of God. This is how you get released from your anxiety. The wisdom of today is to think about God who is Father. And we need to do a little theology here, because, by the way, the, the reason you know, God is called Father all throughout the Bible, and that's not just language of convenience. It's not just like, okay, this is a convenient moniker, we'll just call him Father throughout the Bible. It actually has tremendously profound theological implications. And so just for a moment, maybe put aside any imperfections of your own earthly father and try not to project those onto God the Father. But think for a minute about how, you know, the God of the Bible is a triune God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And at one point in John chapter 17, Jesus, God the Son, he's praying to God the Father, and he says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, what that means is that before there was the earth, before the stars and, and the moon, and before anything was created, Jesus says that God was a father loving a son, which means that in his very nature, God is father. He's a life-giving father. And so loving and giving is nothing foreign or strange or novel to God the Father. It's actually at the very core of who he is. And this is actually the very reason for creation itself. Think about it. Since God the Father has eternally loved the Son, it's entirely characteristic of him then to create others who might also love his Son, and that, therefore, is the reason for creation itself. So the whole reason we're here today is because God is Father. The very nature of the God of the Bible is that he's a giving God. And the wisdom of today, first and foremost, says the way to overcome your anxiety about tomorrow is to think about God as Father who has eternally loved his Son and since creation has loved you and given to you. And so the wisdom of today says, says spend more time thinking about God as Father than about what you may or may not have in your possession tomorrow. Now, secondly, in here, Jesus says to overcome our anxiety in the gray zone of today, he says, consider the kingdom. So first he said, consider the character of God. Now he says, consider the kingdom of God. Verse 33, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, what he's saying is focus on something greater than the thing you're worried about. Focus on, focus on what God wants to bring into the world more than what you want to bring about in the world. And if you do those two things, consider the character of God and consider the kingdom of God, what Jesus says, verse 34, is tomorrow will take care of itself. 
He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this is, this is Jesus talking about the wisdom of today. Now, I don't really like to use myself as an example of great faith, because really, I, I don't think that I am. Um, but the reality is we're actually all sitting here in this room today because a little more than two years ago, Emmy and I were in a situation where we had to apply the wisdom of today at an unbelievably critical moment in our life. Um, we had uh, come here to L.A. We'd met some people who are here in this room, and, and they said, hey, would you guys come and, and lead our church? And we agreed in January of 2020 to do that. And uh, we began to make arrangements. Some of you are laughing because you know what happened in March of 2020. We, we had made promises. We'd made commitments. We were in a place of great comfort. Um, we had a church that we loved, who loved us. We had a wonderful home. Um, and we were in this place of great comfort, but we felt like God was calling us to, to come and to do this. And so we made a commitment to come and do this. And then the pandemic hit. And we were sitting in our living room. I remember this. Literally, it could not be more of a gray zone. We had, we had begun to say goodbye to the passing era of our time in uh, living in overseas in England. And we're about to come into this coming era of coming here to Los Angeles. And we were literally in the gray zone, sitting in our living room, surrounded by boxes, all of our possessions packed up. And we had this moment where we said, should we still do this? I mean, given all that's happening in the world, should we still go and do this? And we, in that moment, had to apply the wisdom of today. Because what was our conversation? What did we do? Well, we said to each other, well, let's consider the character of God. Who do we know him to be? He is a father. He is a provider. He is all wisdom. He has all knowledge. He knew that we were going to say yes in January. He knew the world was going to shut down in March. And so we can trust him. And then we considered his kingdom. And we said, well, you know, we could choose comfort. We could stay here. Or we could seek first his kingdom. And so we chose to apply the wisdom of today. And so it was difficult in that moment. But look at where we are now. And look at what God is doing. And that is the fruit of applying the wisdom of today. That's the fruit of applying the wisdom of today. We pause, we consider the character of God, we consider the kingdom of God over our own comfort. And so the first thing the wisdom of today does is it releases us from anxiety. And the second thing is it prepares us for tomorrow. Now, I'm only going to stop here for a brief moment, because this one, in some ways, it's so obvious, I shouldn't even have to say it. Um, it it's actually even shocking that we don't apply it very often. But Proverbs chapter 6, uh, here's how it goes. You can put that one up. Uh, Go to the ants, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Now, the book of Proverbs, if you don't know, it's the Old Testament uh, collection of these wise sayings that uh, what it says is if you persevere in actually doing them, you become wise. Uh, and both here in chapter 6 and several other places, the writer of, writers of Proverbs ask you to consider how wise is the ant, the smallest of creatures, that the ant uses every day in the gray zone to prepare for the time when there will be no harvest. Now, in some ways, you might look at that and say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that in contrast to what Jesus said? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. And then Proverbs is like, hey, look at the ant. Look at how it takes care of tomorrow. Well, aren't they contradictory? Well, not, not really, actually. Uh, here's what I think this verse is saying. Uh, because look at it again. Look at it in Proverbs 30. Nowhere when it talks about the ant does it say the ant is anxious. Nowhere does it say the ant is worrying for tomorrow. 
Um, put that another way, wisdom is the difference between preparing for tomorrow like the ant and worrying for tomorrow. That's the difference. Wisdom's the difference between preparing for tomorrow and worrying tomorrow. And so consider the ant. It's a good example of the wisdom of today. Um, that was it. That's point two. The fastest point two I've ever had in my life. Um, so now point three. Not only does the wisdom of today relieve our anxiety, and, and not only does it prepare us for tomorrow, but thirdly, it renews us spiritually. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever he sows, to, whatever, whatever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, very simply, what this is saying is whatever you plant today, whatever seed you put in the ground today, that is what you will harvest when the crop matures. Some of you know I grew up about 40 miles straight west of Chicago, and we actually lived on the border between the suburbs and farmland. And so I often talk about it this way. If you walked out my front door, it's pretty much nothing but suburbs for 30 miles, and then you got to the, the border of the city, and then it was just urban all the way to Lake Michigan, straight out my front door. Uh, but if you walked out my back door, it was nothing but cornfields for 1,000 miles across Illinois, Iowa, and Nebraska until you got to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, and I can't read this passage without thinking about going out my back door. And everything out the back door was governed by the cycle of agriculture, uh, which, to be honest, I, I know almost nothing about. Uh, I was a front door kid, always going out the front door, drawn to the city, not a back door one. But there is one agricultural principle that even us front door kids knew growing up, and that is this, that you reap what you sow. And so if you went out the back door in the spring, you'd see farmers out in the fields sowing their seeds. In the summer, you'd see them out tending to their crop, and then in the autumn, they'd be harvesting. And so now picture for a minute, there's one on the screen there, picture for a minute a cornfield in the middle of July. The corn stalks are about five feet high, and it's a rich, deep green, and there's perfectly straight rows that seem to go on for miles and miles, maybe a thousand miles all the way to Colorado. And they're swaying in the gentle summer breeze, heavy with corn cobs that are getting ready to be barbecued and covered with butter and salt at a summer barbecue. And if you're a Christian, that's what you hope for. To one day have such a fruitful Christian life that it's like a luscious field perfectly planted and watered that bears its fruit in season. But if we think of our lives today, perhaps we think about a field that looks more like this next one. And we know that there's parts of our lives where we're not living that new life yet. You know, you're not free from something. You're not fruitful in a way that you'd like to be. And so here's what our minds think. Our minds tend to think that our field looks like this one. That there's some healthy uh, rows of corn, but then there's some empty dry patches mixed in. But that's actually not what this passage is saying. Th th this is the part of uh, the wisdom of today. If you think of your life as a Christian like these two fields, this passage says you're deceiving yourself. Uh, what this passage shows us is that it's not a question of bearing fruit in some areas and no fruit in others. Life is not a field with some healthy green patches and some empty ones. It's actually more like this next slide. It's like this field. There's, a, there's some weeds mixed in. 
There's no empty patch. Every square inch of soil is bearing some sort of fruit. And what the wisdom of today tells us is that we are always bearing fruit. There is always a harvest coming in every inch of the field of our lives. And, and some of the seeds we sow will lead to eternal life, it says, but some will lead to corruption. And what this passage is showing us is that there's no empty patches to your field. So the principle, you, reap, you always reap what you sow, it's, it's this absolute principle in agriculture. I mean, if you take some tomato seeds and you plant them in your garden, there is no circumstance, no instance, where you, where you will grow potatoes. Unless somebody's playing a prank on you and they pull them out and put potatoes in. You will always reap what you sow. And what the wisdom of today tells us is that's true in life. If you sow anger in your heart, if you dwell on a wrong or on the person who's wronged you, you're going to reap malice and hatred. You reap what you sow. There's no empty fields. And so if you have in mind that in the future your field will look like the, the green, luscious field ripe for the spiritual harvest, but today you sow little seeds of lust, little seeds of pride, little seeds of, of drunkenness, this text is telling us that you won't reap a harvest of righteousness. You won't end up with the luscious spiritual harvest you're hoping for because there aren't empty fields. The seeds you are sowing today, the seeds you've sown over the last week, the seeds you sow this coming week will one day grow up out of the soil in your life and they will grow into fruit-bearing plants. And whether those are seeds of patience or jealousy, seeds of kindness or anger, seeds of self-control or seeds of a lack of self-control, faithfulness or laziness, those seeds will one day become full-grown fruit-bearing plants. And that's the wisdom of today. Whatever it is you want to reap in your life, be it patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, the wisdom of today says, persevere in planting seeds of that in your life today, and you will one day reap a harvest of those things. And you know, right at the center of what it is to be a Christian, right at the center of what it is to even become a Christian is actually the idea of a seed. It always starts with this little seed that gets planted. You know, Jesus Christ actually talked about a seed. In John chapter 12, he says this, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat, in other words a seed, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then just a couple of verses later, uh, he, it says this um, in verse 33 of John 12. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And what kind of death did he die? Well, he died an excruciating death on a Roman cross. But the extraordinary thing about his death is that, get this, he was just like a seed. After he died, he came down off a tree. Like a seed, he was put into the ground. But he also came up out of that ground alive. Jesus' death actually meant life. Jesus Christ died and he was raised from the dead and not Listen, he did that not just so that he could have new life. Not just so that he could bear fruit in his own life, but John 12, 24, remember what it said. It said so that he could produce many more seeds. And the seeds he's referring to are you and me. You see, when we believe the gospel, when we trust in Christ, we also die a death, spiritual death, a death to our old selves. 
the unwise self who's always planting seeds of lust, of jealousy, of anger. And that seed gets buried. And what comes up out of the ground is, is something that's raised to new life, new spiritual life, a life of wisdom, where we begin to then bear more seeds of self-control, seeds of patience, seeds of kindness, seeds of goodness. That's the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is that it's like a seed. The gospel itself is a seed. And the wisdom of today says, if you plant the seed of the gospel into your life today and every day and allow that seed to germinate day by day by day, it will grow and produce an entire field of righteousness. And so allow God to plant that seed into your life. Allow him to do it today and allow him to do it day by day, little by little, and over time it will grow and it will grow and it will grow and it will produce fruit year after year after year making you wise. That's the wisdom of today. And so what is wisdom? Wisdom is persevering and doing what you learn from Jesus, what you learn from his word. Persevere in it. Do it. Don't just hear it. Don't just know the information. Do it. That's wisdom. That you do it even when it's, un- especially when it's uncomfortable. And what is the wisdom of today? Well, the wisdom of today is very simply, it's just planting seeds today so that tomorrow you'll reap a right, uh, harvest of righteousness. So that tomorrow you can overcome the anxiety and the gray zone of today. And so like we said at the start, if if you feel like you're lacking wisdom in some way, uh, why not invest three more hours over the next three Sundays in getting wisdom? Join us for the next three weeks and, and we'll look at the wisdom of fear. And believe it or not, that's a good thing. We'll look at the wisdom of friendship. And most of the time that is also a good thing. We'll look at the wisdom of suffering. And that's a good thing. Well, let's do now what James 1.5 tells us to do, and let's ask God for the wisdom that we lack. Let's pray. Our Father, we lack so much wisdom. Uh, Lord, as we face trials, as we face difficulty, as we face temptation, as we face weakness, Lord, we need your wisdom. And Lord, you're the God of all wisdom, and you promise to give wisdom to those who ask. And so, Lord, today we are asking Whatever it is in each person's life where they are lacking wisdom, where they need it, Lord, would you give that to them this week? Would you help them to persevere in what they know is right as they plant seeds of of wisdom, Lord? Would that bear fruit tomorrow and the next day and the next? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.